All right, so this will be our last teaching, our last formal teaching uh, in our Operation Reconciliation series, where we're learning to become effective fishers of men, to bear fruit that remains, and incorporating productive strategies of evangelism into the daily life of the church. So we could, there's like a few other uh, teachings we could add on here, uh, but for the sake of you guys and me, uh, we're not going to. And I think this is an appropriate place to stop because next week it's going to fall in line with our, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, Thursday. It's going to fall in line uh, with our workshop. Um, and we're pretty much going to answer the questions uh, and statements of using our local church as a crucial resource, fellowship and follow-up, when should I invite them to church and fellowship activities, and do I need to join? So that last question should be obvious. Uh, to everybody, we're actually uh, so we'll handle some gospel issues and lay some theological foundations first. Um, but to get a deeper understanding, I guess uh, you guys can go on to the podcast, look at the eight essential elements of the biblical Christian gospel series. Look, uh, and I have to think about what element it is. I think it's five, four, four or five of. Um, you know, the historic count of Israel and impending judgment. So, because uh, part of what we're going to see in, and we're going to play this out is, you know, the Old Testament and New Testament both speak of a called out assembly. There's two Hebrew words. There's one Greek word uh, that's translated. But either way, it's an assembly. That's who the body of people is, is a group of people meeting together. That was Old Testament Israel. You had to be in Israel to be part of God's people, and you have to be in Israel to be part of, uh, that was geographically located. Uh, and then in the New Covenant, you have to be in Israel, which is called the church, uh, quite plainly in Scripture, in the New Covenant. So in either way, the word denotes a called out assembly, so you have to assemble. <laughs> if you're never, if you're a called out individual, you're no longer the ecclesia. So it should be part of our gospel. Um, that's something I kind of saved till we were actually recording is, uh, and it's going to be also be part of the, how to handle the objections, uh, Christian, you know, in air quotes, objections to uh, different things is like, both these guys were like, well, I tried church and I didn't like it, or it's no fun, or I didn't enjoy it. And you know what we said? Why would you? <laughs> You're not Christians. <laughs> Only Christians enjoy church. <laughs> or, uh, no, who else, like, I don't enjoy, like, the bowling league. Because <laughs> I don't want to be in the bowling league, because I don't enjoy it. Because I'm not a bowler. <laughs> like, I'm not going to join a bowling league. <laughs> it's not something I want to do. Now, if there's, like, a group of hippies going out to the woods to walk around barefoot, like, those are my people. <laughs> like, I would, I would join that club and drink kombucha. And, you know, they're like, if there was a coffee club that started that you could talk about your esoteric knowledge of coffee and, like, waste your life doing that, like, I would join. Right? But why would you, why would you, in, like, no one, I would not expect a non-Christian to enjoy church just as much as I would not enjoy going to a mosque or trying to do transcendental meditation or uh, whatever other, or going to a TED, TEDx or, or to a TED talk, right? Those are the churches of secular humanism. Um, so, like, why, why, why would I do any of those things and why would I enjoy it? It's because that's not who I am and that's not who... Uh, 
uh, that's not where my desires are. So why would I, I like it, right? Like, so we told him that like God would actually have to like, it'd be a miraculous thing and it would be a natural thing that God would do and does do on those he, who he is calling and converting to start to actually maybe start enjoying church and want to go and see what it's like. If you have those sort of feelings, you know, the Lord might be doing something. Uh, so with these guys in particular, he did say, well, I wish the Lord would do that for me when we told him that we can't make you enjoy church. Uh, he did express that. So, you know, continue to pray for uh, Jackson and Zach that the Lord would change their hearts to, uh, you know, enjoy the things of the Lord and get convicted of the sin. Yeah. Yeah, they'd still, everyone desires community. That's kind of who we are and how the Lord made us. Um, but they wouldn't necessarily... In, in the light or... Yeah, they wouldn't... In, they might even enjoy some of the songs. Although, <laughs> you know, uh, this isn't about <laughs> worship songs, but like I like worshiping, but I hate listening to the Christian music because <laughs> it's generally not my thing. Uh, you know, in the modern sense of like the radio songs, right? Uh, so I don't, you know, uh, so yeah, everyone desires community and has a longing to be near and share life and, uh, and do that with people. So, um, Muslims enjoy doing that together because they're, you know, homogenous together. Uh, Buddhists enjoy doing that together. Uh, secular humanists like going to, to TED conferences and, and whatever, uh, computer programmers, I hear there's like computer programmer conferences and competitions, right? Like, I'm not, like, my heart hasn't been changed that much to do that, right? It'd be kind of cool, but I'd be lost. Uh, yeah, so yeah, so there's a longing and desire in everybody to experience community, and they will fill those desires, you know, if they're unregenerate, um, you know, outside of Christ in the Christian community. But as the Lord does draw people in, they're a natural, you know, fruit of that would be that we would see that their desires are getting conformed to Christ's desires to be around His people, uh, and and all that that means. Yeah. So you know that's uh, you know one of the proofs I use as far as an evidence of like you know the human experience that everyone desires community that becomes that comes from a God that's a community, and if that's true. If all reality is based on that, and that's the human experience, the biblical text is the only one that purports a God that's in community with himself, right? Islam doesn't have that. Uh, you can kind of say that Hinduism and Buddhism has that in some kind of weird way, but they're you know, kind of diametrically opposed to, if it's that form of pantheism, then they're opposed to each other. But anyways... Um, so the first thing we're going to ask, and I don't know how much we'll fly through this, because uh, we talked about this quite a lot in what makes the kingdom of God visible. But the first question, question we're going to ask is, you know, in all those things of how we're going to utilize our local church as a crucial resource. Um, resource. First of all, what is the church? So New City Catechism, question 48. The answer is, God chooses and preserves for himself a community elected for eternal life, and united by faith, who love, follow, learn from, and worship God together. God sends out this community to proclaim the gospel and prefigure Christ's kingdom by the quality of their life together and their love for one another. So, uh, 
who was it? Tim Keller and Shams, Sam Seamus. Uh, I always want to say Sham Seamus, but it's Sam Seamus. Uh, uh, developed the New, New City Catechism, and they developed from the Westminster uh, and the Heidelberg Catechisms, and they formulated it into one uh, concise, and they did a really good job, especially that last part. You know, uh, so we're not talking about, we're talking in context of fellowship and inviting people in and being a community of people uh, to welcome people in and how to use that as we're evangelizing. That last sentence is, I thought they did a really good job, uh, or last half of the sentence. Uh, they proclaim the gospel and prefigure Christ's kingdom by the quality of their life together and their love for one another. So quite easily put, like the church is God's representation on earth. Uh, and God's and God's mean to call and welcome in the elect. Uh, the elect welcome in the elect, and they are the called out assembly, right? That's the ecclesia. The Greek word ecclesia uh, literally means the called out assembly. Uh, I can't remember the two uh, Hebrew words that the Old Testament uses. One of them is translated assembly, and one of them, at least in the ESV, is translated congregation. But either way, they're both used interchangeably for Moses's congregation. Uh, and Abraham's people and assembly, and when, the, when all the Israelites were assembled together, they're called out by God, they're assembled together, they're living a way of life together, right? And isn't that exactly what Israel was called to do uh, all throughout the Old Testament, is to prefigure Christ's kingdom by the quality of their life together and their love for one another? Right? So... Uh, so let's talk about, uh, so the church is really just, so the vehicle and means by which God uses. We talked a lot about in the What Makes the Kingdom of God Visible series, the short one that we did, uh, that God doesn't do anything on the earth for his kingdom uh, to reform the earth, to proclaim the gospel. You know, we talked about a lot of things and what that entails, but God's primary vehicle by which he's sending forth uh, his other graces, which are the word and his spirit, is done through the church. The church is the biggest, best, most important institution on the face of the earth. It's everything. The church is everything, right? The church carries the commandments. The church preaches the word. The church makes disciples. The church reforms cultures. The church preaches to peoples, to nations, to people groups, right? Uh, the church is everything. We all need a deeper ecclesiology. Um, so who is the church and who's in the church? Uh, you know what we talked about? If God is drawing someone, they will be drawn to the church, right? Nobody, uh, nowhere in scripture do we find that the Lord converts somebody for them to be alone. <laughs> All right. I converted you and I, you're now a Christian and you said this in his prayer and now you can continue doing the exact same things you've done in isolation apart from everybody now, just as a Christian, somehow. That'd be cruel. That would be cruel. How so? Because uh, you can't survive as a Christian. Yeah. Uh, you know, we'll talk about a lot of the objections on uh, Thursday when we do the workshop, but that's like the state of, you know, American, height of American individualism in the church is that, like, I could, the unchurched church, Right? That's what they call it. The people who are claiming to be Christians yet not part of a body of Christ, not like actively serving or getting discipled or reading their Bibles or getting taught how to read their Bibles, which like, where's any indication that you're a Christian then? 
There, there is not. You might, you might actually exhibit godly behavior and godly character to some degree, but uh, I think the deeper we dive in with people, we'll see that uh, you know there's tons of reasons why they don't want to be obedient to God and, and listen to Him and be part of His people. Um, yeah, it'd be very cruel, and that baby would probably not survive, probably not live very long. If somehow that it did, he or she did, then it would have a lot of malformities and, and deformities. Yeah. Right? So, so let's talk about who is the church. Uh, those first two aren't on the paper. Daniel, can you read Matthew 12, 46 through 50, then Jonathan, Luke 8, 19 through 21, which is, these are two accounts of... Uh, might be the same account. I'm not actually sure if it is the same account because it happens in a different order. Uh, but it's roughly in the time, same time period in both Gospels. While he was still speaking to the people, behold, his mother and his brothers stood outside asking to speak to him. But he replied to the man who told him, Who is my brother and who are my or who is my mother, and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Okay, Luke eight nineteen 19-21, from the Nineveh. And his mother and brothers came to him, and they were unable to get to him because of the crowd. And it was reported to him, Your mother and your brothers are outside. Are standing outside wishing to see you. But he answered and said to them, My mother and brothers are these who hear the word of God and do it. Yeah, so Matthew's account says, uh, My mothers and brothers are those who do the will of God, right? Believe that. And then the Luke account says, Those who hear the word and do it. Right? So that means like all that encompasses in hearing the word and do it and the will of God, right? Which we're going to see. Uh, is being in a body of Christ. But so um, the reason we're going, we're going to make the distinction of who is the church and who's in the church uh, is going to be really conditional uh, and lay a great foundation, I think, for who do we invite to church? Who do we invite to fellowship with us? Right? So, um, just say whoever does the hears the words of the Father and does the will, or whoever does the will of God. Whoever does the will of God, will of God right? Because um, if we took... Who, how many people took the systematic theology class so far? Wow, this is the first time I've maybe been in a room, uh, and it was about only about 50%. Now I know who's taking it in fall. <laughs> Look at you. Uh, so what's the difference between the visible church and the invisible church? People are regenerate by the Holy Spirit, and people not regenerate by the Holy Spirit. Right, so, so the visible church, yeah. right, he's, what he said, it's the people we see on Sunday. The invisible church are the people that are actually Christians and have your back. Yeah. This is actually, uh, so does everybody get that? Because uh, I once took 30 minutes to explain this concept. <laughs> so there's people, who is the church? This is the invisible church, uh, is what we're going to look at. Those who hear the words of God and do it. Those who have been born again by the Holy Spirit 
adopted as sons into, uh, under the headship of Christ, who are in his kingdom, who could never fall away. Because the Lord desires them to never fall away. <laughs> right? That, who, that's the invisible church. I walk into a church, I see everybody that's visible. Right? Uh, and I use wild examples. I'll try to stay not as wild. Uh, now let's say we invite... Uh, you know, an atheist friend to church, and he comes, right? Now he is now in the church. He is a visible, he might even say, I like it here. I don't know why. Uh, it's kind of funny. It gives me something to do. It keeps me out of trouble, right? So they come, and that is, he is a visible member. He makes a commitment. He wants to serve, uh, whatever. He starts taking out the trash. He becomes my best friend. Uh, starts helping uh, clean up after Friday nights. It's great. He helps with the summer projects, and then we're best friends for life. Uh, you know, so he is a visible member, but he is not regenerate, has not put his faith in Christ uh, by God's grace, and has become a born-again Christian, right? So he's a visible member, but so he wouldn't be part of the invisible church of which you can't see the depths of man's heart, right? So we're talking about the visible church uh, still. So First Peter 2.9. Kyle, can you read that one? There. Yep, it's there on the page. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For what you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Yeah, so all those things that Peter's quoting in there, royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, they're all, uh, but you are not a people, now you are the people of God, you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. It's all, uh, you know, leading back to Old Testament Israel, of saying, like, you guys need to be like a, a holy congregation of people working together. You're going to be like a nation in the nations, uh, you're going to work as an institution in the church uh, for to proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of marvelous, called you out of darkness into, mar he called you out of marvelous darkness into even more marvelous light, right? Uh, so, um, but he's talking about like you guys, but that, that holy nation, that people for God's own possession, who God owns, who God has staked his claim on and given grace to, right? Sam, you jumped into the right spot. Can you grab Ephesians 2 uh, on that first page? Uh, about a third of the way down. Where are we at? Ephesians 17. 2, 17 through 22. Yep. Okay. And he came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were where near. Okay. Missing a space there, sorry. For through him we both have our access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints. Our God's household, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus Himself, being the cornerstone, in whom the whole building, being fitted together, is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. Yeah. So uh, this sounds really funny, and I know a couple of you guys have heard it more than once or twice, or a handful of times. Uh, but this is like a really, because of the meeting we had yesterday, it explains this very, even more clearly to me, the need to say this, but words have meaning. 
Words actually have a definition uh, and they have a connotation behind them, right? So when you say things, uh, you mean something. You have a purpose behind it, right? So uh, when God says stuff in his scripture, he uses specific words and analogies for a specific meaning. He's got a purpose behind it, right? So he says that we were no longer strangers and aliens, but fellow citizens with the saints. Citizens implies what? A city, right? He doesn't say that we're a fellow... Uh, aliens. Yeah. You know, the, you know, strangers and aliens directly is talking to you. You're outside of a land or outside of a people group. Now you are the people group. You are the city. And then he says household, right? It gets a little bit more personal. It goes in, like, in the city, there's households. There's people in the city. If there's no people, <laughs> that's an empty city. <laughs> and that would be a lonely place to live. Uh but like then he says that you uh, are of God's household being built on the foundation, right? So you are a people group. You are a people in a city living like a city, which indicates like, you know, we went into this, into the what makes the kingdom of God visible, but has laws, rulers, uh, a way of life, an economic system, has all these things inside itself. Uh, but now you guys are a household. You dwell together. You live together. You move with a more personal purpose behind it you guys are all under an even closer head uh following you know that purpose and you know being guided right like the burks family uh everyone who still lives at home right you guys are uh you guys follow the lead of your parents and probably namely your dad uh right to some degree right because you guys are living as a household and that's part of what a household is or else there'd be discord all the time right it would be like when I was living with my parents <laughs> and rebelling against them and doing whatever the hell I wanted to do, you know? Um, so uh, the people, you know, who is the church, the true invisible church, those who you can't see are those who are regenerated, born again, uh, who are in the household of God, who are submitting to his laws and commands, who are hearing his word, who are submitting to the rulers that he's put in place, right? Which, and all of this, like, so there's no... Uh, which is kind of funny. Um, well, I guess we'll wait till number three, but I was going to say, you know, there's no like direct scripture that says like you have to join a local church and be a covenant member. There's no like direct scripture that says that didactically. That'd be really easy. There's no scripture that didactically says anything about the Trinity. Right. Uh, but it is becoming like a, um, a growing, like it's actually a popular, more widespread argument now between theologians and different groups of like, do you have to be like a church member? Uh, which I think is ridiculous, but we'll handle that when we're asking, am I joining the church? So who's in the church? Um, where are we at? Byron, can you read Second uh, Peter? Um, well, actually, let's hold off on Second uh, Peter. Can you keep that one? But I'll just come back to you. Second Peter 2, 1 through 3. Let's read those other ones first. Um, Sydney, can you read Matthew 13, 24 through 30, and 47 through 52? It's like a master of a house who brings out his treasure, what is new and what is old. Yeah. So Christ explains the first parable as being the wheat and the tares are growing up together in the world. Right at the end of the age, he's going to pluck out the wheat. Uh, I'm sorry, he's going to pluck out the, the tares and burn them. Right. But the point is that there's going to be uh, good seed and bad seed growing up together. There's going to be a good fish caught with a bad fish. Um, 
Now, he doesn't necessarily quite say exactly that that means that that's going to be in the church as well. But through the rest of Scripture, we're going to see uh, is that that's the case. Of There are, and there um, maybe, well, there should be, there is, and there should be unregenerative, unconverted people in the church, attending your local church, right? We're going to uh, talk about uh, how to treat them and, um, and why to have them there. Uh, once we get to the back, but but that should be the case, right? Not everybody who goes to church uh, means they're a real Christian, right? But that seemed to be the case when we talked to these two guys last night, that just because I went to church, and then I was a Christian for a while, but now I'm not a Christian. Well, if that's your idea of Christianity, then <laughs> you weren't a Christian. You didn't even know what it was, <laughs> right? So where are we at? Uh, let's go to Teresa. Can you read that Hebrews three twelve through 19? brethren that there not be in any were not able that they were not able to enter because of unbelief yeah so what is why is paul referencing uh, i'm sorry the hebrew writer uh why is the hebrew <laughs> writer referencing moses and what is he referencing and why is he referencing it there was a mixed multitude that came out yeah there was so we're talking about the exodus there's people uh the israelites were in egypt Right, the ten uh, plagues come. The tenth one, you know, being the Passover, and that night they exit, or they, uh, you know, they get out of Egypt. Um, is the Exodus? A mixed multitude comes out, right? And then what? They wander in the desert for forty years, years and then what? They die. They die. <laughs> Not all of them. Uh, a lot of them. Joshua, Caleb, uh, you know, um, and the young ones, right? So how is, and then they enter into uh, the land prepared for them, right? Into the promised land. So why is the Hebrew writer referencing that? And who is he talking to? He's talking to the church. Okay, he's talking to, he's talking, he's writing to a church. Very clear. He's talking to people who are in a community, uh, Right. So, what is what's his warning? He's saying that the reason they didn't enter into uh, God's rest and into His promised land is because of their unbelief. So that if you like, the thing that separates the the true believer, the wheat and the tares, is is belief. Basically, that's what he's saying. Yeah, he's saying like he's warning people in a church of not to harden your hearts, not to be. Uh, be aware of the deceitfulness of sin, let you know. But uh, today, if you hear his heart, his voice, do not harden your hearts, you know, as when they were provoked. Like that, these people, the kid, they saw the miraculous signs coming out of Egypt. They walked with God for forty years, right? Even before they got, uh, you know, into the or to the edge of the promised land, uh, right? Korah's rebellion was like, "Hey, we're going back to Egypt. We'd rather uh, go be slaves back there, right?" And have onions and leeks, right? They got onions. All we got is manna from heaven and water from a moving rock. That's all we got. And, you know, the manna doesn't even last 24 hours unless, unless it's Friday night, you know, until Sunday morning. Uh, so he's, you know, he's very clearly giving to talking to people in a community, in a church, uh, you know, who are working together. Say, don't harden your hearts, like, lest you have been deceived and you fall away, right? So who knows the uh, 
the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints and can describe it. Go ahead. Uh, basically, it means, um, like Christ said, uh, all that God has given me, I will not lose one, right? Uh, so basically, if, you know, you're called by God, it's not within your ability to, to come out of the fold. That's more or less what I've been told it is. Yeah. Anybody else want to add to that? Even though you're kind of against it, I like explaining words with the same word because it shows the intent of it. So the perseverance of the saints is the idea that the saints will persevere. But <laughs> another way to put that that kind of shows the biblical idea better is to call it the preservation of the saints because it's God, it's the guarantee in the Bible that God will preserve those who he has called to himself. Yeah, I like quoting, there's uh, tons of scripture you can use. Um, where are we at here? Uh, Colossians 1. Uh, 22 and 23 says, uh, He is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present, present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard. Uh, so Paul says, like, if you continue in the faith, not like if you come and stay in the church, but if you continue in the faith, uh, if God's grace remains on you and you continue to have a humble heart and receive God's grace and uh, all rights and responsibilities as a child of God, uh, you will persevere because God will make you persevere. So, uh, one last, uh, Byron, can you read that Second Peter 2, 1 through 3, then we'll talk about who's in the church. Or we'll make a well-defined statement of who is in the church. Yeah, so all of Second Peter is about false teachers, false prophets uh, in the church as leaders, right? Um, and he's that's where he, you know, starts and goes on for like two more chapters on that. Uh, so who's in the church? There are true, regenerate, uh, made alive by the Holy Spirit, uh, converts to Christ. That would be number one. Uh, number two. Unconverted people who harden their heart and fall away from Christ. Uh, the Galatian church was uh, given a very stern warning that Christ is of no benefit from of you if you accept circumcision. If they continued, the Judaizers and were invading churches, uh, right, to say you need Christ and the law. You need Christ and circumcision. You need to take a uh, active step. It's not by grace alone. It's You have to work some of it out. Right, and then uh, so there's those who receive those uh, teachings who aren't converted, uh, and then as Peter puts out that there's false teachers. Right, so those are the people who are in the church. Right, there's <laughs> there's false teachers. Which one of you is it? <laughs> right, uh, doesn't mean that. Uh, hopefully, as we are, I would think, you know, this is just my um, assumption that the healthier a church is. Uh, at least uh, it's least likely to have false teachers, <laughs> right? In official positions, <laughs> if that makes sense, right? We could, we've had people uh, or people in the church um, in Grace Christian Fellowship that preach another Christ who uh, 
actively evangelize to other people a different Christ apart from the scripture. But they're not leaders. <laughs> we actually say, uh, you know, and have Bible studies with them and stuff and uh, show them the way of truth. Uh, so that's who's in the church. That's who we should expect in the church, right? Um, and uh, that's not to say that we should be like looking over our shoulders, like, where's the false teachers? Let's get them. Where's the wolves? Let's kill them. Uh, let's trap them. Let's throw them out. Right? That's not actually where this is leading. Uh, it, it is easy to start to get that mindset if we start thinking like, oh, well, we're the true converts. We need to purge the church. We need to get all the false converts out. Right? That's an easy uh, dialogue to get wrapped up into and a way of thinking to go. But we're going to handle that question um, towards actually is the last thing uh, and how to handle, you know, so if we are, like, I actually make it a habit of, uh, I never tell people that I'm a true Christian. I never tell people that I know anybody else is a true Christian because uh, by logical deduction, I couldn't tell that or according to biblical standards. Yeah. Let's say, uh, uh, let's use... Teresa, as an example, I'm fairly confident that Teresa shows Christ-like behavior, fruit of the Spirit, love towards God, but I don't know what's going to happen the rest of her life. Uh, you know, uh, I, if she's under the grace of God, she won't fall away, and then she is a true Christian, a true believer. Uh, if she's not, she might fall away, right? Uh, but logically speaking, I can only assert who isn't a Christian. I know who isn't. People who, <laughs> people who claim to not be Christians, people who reject Christ, you are separated from Christ based on your claim. right? You do not uh, value Christ. You say you don't love Christ. I know you're not a Christian. I can assert that. right? Uh, I can't assert that Josiah is a Christian. Now, I'm not trying to put a bunch of doubt. I'm just saying I make it a habit of even uh, when I'm meeting with people to say, uh, we're real Christians, you know. All I say is, like, we exhibit Christ-like behavior, and by the grace of God, we will continue to exhibit Christ-like behavior. And if it was up to me, I, number one, wouldn't it be a Christian? Uh, and number two, wouldn't it continue to be a Christian? Uh, so that's not up to me anyways. All right, so does that make sense without putting even more doubt and speculation in people's heads? <laughs> Which is not what I'm trying to do. All I'm saying is, like, I make it a habit uh, of even in like talking and with people it's like, I know I never assert that. Like he's a Christian. Uh, he's a real Christian, you know, in the, in that kind of language, uh, or we're real Christians do what we do because that's actually, uh, still yet to be found out. <laughs> it's also kind of in the parable with the, uh, out right now. Yeah. Right. Now we do have like, uh, if there's behavior going on, we'll see like in, uh, you know, uh, First Corinthians six, like we do have to purge the evil, as Paul says, from among us. But those are people who are claiming to know Christ, uh, not repentive, don't want to have anything to do with godly behavior, and proclaiming proudly of things like sexual immorality. Right? Uh, hand that person over to Satan that they learn not to blaspheme anymore. Hopefully, uh, you know, and and feel some conviction, but. Uh, I do make assertions like, you know, these guys last night and, you know, say like, uh, well, I tried church for a little bit. I, I tried to be a Christian. It's like, well, that's not true. You weren't a Christian and you're not a Christian. If that, I don't know why that would offend anybody. 
I don't think that's offensive, number one. They know they're not Christians. <laughs> right? Uh, so I don't see what the problem would be. Um, or, you know, and we can, you know, lovingly and gently and respectfully show them that, like, it's actually impossible to be a Christian and then not be a Christian. That's biblically not possible. Yeah, it's also poss- possible to try to be a Christian. Ask me how I know. So, yeah. All right. So number three. So that's that's kind of just the overall of like, uh, what is the church? Who is the church? And who's in the church? So uh, we're gonna ask the question: Am I joining a church? The it's an unequivocal yes. Uh, if that's part of, not part of our gospel presentations. Uh, then we're not we're not preaching you know a gospel a fairly accurate you know if that's not coming across in you know our Bible studies we're having with people of uh, how they can mature in Christ and that's not like an intricate part of being part of a local body working together serving uh, learning and serving and reciprocating then they're actually not going to mature in Christ uh, because. Um, we're going to see, like, by definition, you know, we can probably skip over this 1 Corinthians 12, 14 through 27, but the culmination of it, or no, that's the good one. We're going to keep that one. Uh, but the last line is, we are Christ's body individually members of it. So, like, by definition of what being, uh, being converted to Christ is and being under in his headship, in his body, if you're not in the body and you're not maturing... Then you, or if you're not in the body, you're not working with the body together, then you can't mature. So if that's not like something that we're actively discipling people in and talking about and saying like, you know, trying to figure out, you know, one of the things I do after talking to people, uh, after, you know, laying a foundation of reading scripture, uh, of like the five steps to entering Christ's kingdom, I usually go to like a series like uh, employing God's gifts that we use a lot of like, what are the giftings and callings that God has called you to, and how can you be utilized as an intricate member of Christ's community as his body to fulfill what he's called you to do? Because that's your purpose for living, right? They may find out that that's with us. They may find out that it's not. But either way, how are you going to find out what does Scripture say, and how do we figure out what God has already been gifted you to serve one another as uh, stewards of God's manifold grace, right? Whether you're calling... Whether you know only having a Bible study with somebody and they stick with the Grace Christian Fellowship is besides the point. The point is that they're plugged into a body, maturing, utilizing their gifts to serve one another, to serve Christ's kingdom and Christ's purpose, right? So you can't do that. You can't be a mature Christian and not do that. So if you're not doing that, you know you're not a mature Christian, or you're not. If you're not on that path, you at least you know you're not on the path to maturity. Does that make sense? So a couple of eyebrows like get really low. <laughs> Make sure anybody got any questions? Okay, uh, am I joining church? Um, where are we at? Are we at uh, uh, Jane? I can't see who's back there. Jane, you want to read all of First Corinthians twelve fourteen through twenty seven, and then we'll go back to Dan for that Romans passage. Yeah, so the argument goes that Paul's combating is, uh, you know, number one, 
the eye can't say to the ear, I have no need of you, <laughs> right? So we can't be saying, well, I don't need Kyle. Uh, no, we need Kyle. Uh, I don't need Josiah. I need Josiah. <laughs> uh, I need somebody to plug the microphone in and record it. <laughs> I need someone to, uh, right? Like, we can't ever, like, even the most, indis or so supposedly, that's a perspective issue, right, of saying, oh, we don't need the pinky toe. <laughs> let's just cut it off, or let's not use it, not utilize it, right? Like, we need the pinky toe, <laughs> right? Which, which, which piggy is going to go run, run, run all the way home, <laughs> right? <laughs> We're going to leave him at the market. Uh, <laughs> terrible joke. Uh, you know, but... Strike that from the record. <laughs> yeah. So, so that's the first argument. But if the but the other part of the argument is that I they the body has no need of me, right? Well, that's also false. Uh, just because you are a pinky toe or something doesn't mean you're not utilized and not an intricate part of the body. So, what would make you? Uh, so, all of these are members, parts of the body being used, whether for more or less glory. Right, but what would make you not part of the body? Not being part of the body. Not being part of the body, right, <laughs> if you were cut off. So if you weren't in the body, there's no way you could be utilized. There's no way uh, you would ever be useful. There's uh, no way to be used. There's no way to be part of the body when you're not part of the body. <laughs> Unless you're food. Uh, Right, so the point is, like, you are part of the body and you have to be utilized. But if you're not part of the body, you're not sitting under the head, right? So, uh, you know, the metaphors are used for that uh, Paul's using is for a reason, um, right? And we see the same thing in the same metaphor in Romans twelve. Dan, can you read that Romans twelve four through eight there on the bottom of the first page? Yes, sir. Yeah, so Paul's using the body metaphor, right? That we're all members of one body and we don't all have the same function, right? So uh, are you joining a church? Are you joining a body? Yeah, you have to, right? As, as we're going out and sharing the gospel, uh, you know, I'll just bring it back to the guys last night of, like God will change your heart to be, want to be part of the, bo the body, to be under the head, to be useful, to, to serve, Right. There might be some uh, desires that sprout up to say, well, I don't feel like useful and I'm, you know, I'm of less quality or less and they don't need me. It's like, well, Paul already argued against that, that. Yeah, you do. Right. So. Um, where are we at? So there's a difference. Right. So there uh, this is what I was talking about a little bit earlier. There's an argument in today's theology between different groups of. Am I joining, not just am I joining a church, but am I going to be a member? So there's no real qualifications in the Bible for church membership. The best that I understand it, it just seems to be assumed and presupposed that uh, there's no like clause that you have to be a, a covenant member of one body um, and, and stick there, right? I don't see anything in scripture that didactically says that. But if we word it like this, like, am I making a commitment as long as I'm here to be part of, participate, serve, give, submit to, fellowship with, and take the sacraments with this body until God calls me away, right? Not until I decide to leave or until I find a better church, but until God 
calls me away, uh, then the answer is like, yes, you actually have to not just like, uh, you know, attend on Sundays and take the sacraments and pay your tithe. Right. That's like, if that's, I don't even know if that's the minimum biblically because, uh, you know, uh, the biblical minimum, I think, uh, or I don't know if I'd say minimum, I don't know if there's a minimum, uh, you know, is making a commitment, like you making a covenant, making a verbal contract to stand with a group of people uh, to join in the purposes that God has for them, making a commitment to fellowship with them, making a commitment to serve in a capacity with them, making a commitment to sit under the church authority uh, that has been instituted, under the elders to sit under the teaching, right? I think that there's like that is presupposed and assumed throughout the entire New Testament. That's assumed uh, throughout the entire Old Testament as well, right? Like if you're, um, how far does this go? Uh, let's see, let me, I might put it on here on the back. I think it's down at the bottom. Uh, but we talked about it earlier, like who, who flees Egypt? Who flees Egypt in the Exodus? The Israelites. The Israelites. And who else? The Sojourners. A mixed, Some Egyptians. Some Egyptians. Uh, a mixed multitude. Right? Um, and they were like, but you had to leave. You had to like leave Egypt. And anybody who was welcomed in, anybody who had the fear of God in them, that didn't want their firstborn to die and continue to get God's wrath poured out on them. <laughs> really. Uh, that saw and knew and submitted to the Lord, which was like joining his church. Uh, which was, would mean like you have to go out into the wilderness. You have to go out into the desert. I have to leave Egypt. I have to join the Israelites, right? Anybody was welcome. God was calling Israel, and a mixed multitude came. <laughs> Plus, they were getting plundered as they left. And if you wanted to keep your belongings, you, you had to go, <laughs> which I, I, I don't know how that worked out. They might have still gotten plundered, but then be like, well, <laughs> I'd rather be a servant or I'd rather... Uh, be out in the wilderness than dead. Um, right? So there has to be some kind of, I think the Bible assumes some kind of commitment to a body of Christ and what God has called them to. Right? Does that make sense to everybody? Yeah. So like as we're out sharing the gospel, that should be like, you know, something as we're discipling people, as we're taking people through investigative or evangelistic investigative Bible studies, constantly working in, right? Like how do you fit into the church? How do you fit into this ministry? What are, what are God's giftings and callings? Like if they're really geared towards like, oh my God, like this, I've never discovered theology before. This is crazy. Like, oh, you know, that might be like a gifting and a calling to maybe teach, but we'll, we'll see, right? Keep, keep learning. Uh, do they want to share everything that they learned? You know, right? Like, you know, that's why I've got high hopes that Josiah can, can teach in a campus ministry because uh, he loves it. You know, that's probably one of his callings. Um, if not, then, <laughs> then we'll know. <laughs> right? Uh, but, like, is that something, like, we're actively, like, trying to get... It's not just, like, are you coming to church? Are you on the Lord's Day? Yeah, those are all really important. Are you paying a tithe? Yeah, that's really important. But that's, like, you know, if you can have a minimum requirement, that's, like, way down there. Right? Like, are you wanting to serve? Are you wanting to get plugged in? Are you wanting to fellowship do you want to come to cookouts do you like being around these people <laughs> if you don't like being around the people 
uh, you know, maybe the Lord still has some work to, you know, convert you to some things and godly character to grow in. Um, you know, uh, but not just like, do you, uh, do you want to want to submit to the elders? Do you want to receive teaching? Can you receive rebuke? You know, not just like, what are your giftings and callings and what is the, how is the Lord going to utilize you and how you become an intricate part of a church, but also like, is your godly character being reformed enough? Uh, are you getting discipled and godly character to like, to like, to, which will actually, you know, by the Lord's means of rebuke, like wanting to be content in the church that he's called you to, wanting to want to make a commitment, right? So uh, question 44 of the New City Catechism says, what is baptism? And the answer is, baptism is the washing of water in the name of Christ, of the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It signifies and seals our adoption into Christ, our cleansing from sin, and our commitment to belong to the Lord and to his church. Uh, we can go and flip over. Like, what are you getting baptized into? What are, like, as we're, you know, proclaiming the gospel and doing these Bible studies, like, what are, like, they have to understand that, like, they can't just continue to be radically individual and they don't get to choose whatever they want. Like, what is Christ's vision for the church? It is a city, it's a household, it's a family, it's an army, um, all those things. So, uh, repentance from the world is turning into the church. We had this discussion, we had a lot of discussions last night uh, with the two uh, atheists. Uh, but, you know, one of the points we brought up is there's no vacuums in space. There's no, no such thing as, like, nothingness. Like, as far as we know, anywhere. Even, uh, this was kind of funny because this is one of the times that I remember uh, that the, they refuted their own argument of like, well, what about the space between particles? And the other guy was like, well, there'd be like light waves. <laughs> like, well, yeah, then there's nothing. There's no, there's no nothingness. My point still stands. <laughs> uh, that there is no such thing. God didn't create a vacuum. There is no such thing as, we don't know what's in a black hole. They brought up that. Yeah, they, they said, what about a black hole? And yeah. then the other guy's like, oh, we don't know. We don't really know what's in a black hole. <laughs> so we could have theories, but we don't know. <laughs> Why don't you go find out and let us know? <laughs> Write us a letter before you fall in or something. Uh, so uh, as far as I can tell, in the known universe, like God hasn't created any vacuums. So... Okay. So, but it's not nothing. But it's not nothing. Sid, God, the science guy. <laughs> yeah. So why does that make it, why does that matter? It's because when you repent and turn away from something, inevitably in the universe, if I turn away from Teresa, I turn to Daniel, I'm facing somebody, I'm not facing nothingness. I'm not facing, if I turn, unless I do a 360, I'm not facing the same thing. I'm always in something. And we're called to not be of the world. We're not called to be uh, worldly. We're called out of the world. That means we're called into something. If we're repenting and we're turning away from and renouncing our own evil desires, our own lordship, or we're the captain of our own ship, then we're turning to another captain, somebody's captain. 
right? We're not going from radical individualism to Christianity and radical individualism, right? We're called into something. We're called out of uh, one thing, the world mainly, or we're called, and that can have its own institutions. Sometimes that's, uh, you know, a very wicked, manipulative, evil family. You might be called out of association with your family, right? Uh, if these two guys we talked to last night, uh, if Christ convicts them, they have to repent from going to uh, the new atheist preacher, Sam Harris, and listening to him and him being their preacher and their guide and ultimately themselves. And they have to join. Uh, and they're, uh, so they're in a, like what uh, Christiana was saying earlier, everyone desires community. So uh, they commune together and listen to this podcast. It's like if Daniel and I got together and listened to a John Piper sermon. <laughs> That's literally what it would be like. Uh, and they have other groups of people, of atheists, who meet together in groups, and that's their community because that's their belief system, and that's what they want, and that's who they're most like, right? So they are being called to repent from that and join the church because the church is the antithesis of that, of going to new atheism preachers, listening to them uh, in an organized fashion, and going to preachers of Christ under the head of God, you know, in the church, right? So you can't, like, there would be no such thing. They would not, uh, if this, if you take it to the, what I believe is the biblical extent, you cannot say you're a Christian and not be part of a church. Now, there might be some in-between in ground where I'm, I moved and or I'm overseas or I'm in the Navy or something and I can't be part of uh, a local church and it's kind of like, like there's, that's not what I'm saying is that you're not a Christian if that happens. I'm saying if you're not committed, you know, there's going to be like a thousand different life circumstances that happens. If you're not committed and going to and seeking to be in an institutional church, then where's the fruit of actually being Christ-like? Where's the fruit of you actually being regenerate? Because that's the first thing God calls you to, besides himself, which is then manifest itself in the church, <laughs> Right? Uh, if it never works itself out that way, that is really bad fruit. So we're going to handle a lot of that in workshops, the workshop on Thursday, of how to answer people, because nine times out of ten, I'd say, when we're doing street-level apologetics uh, or street-level evangelism, uh, especially in the Oregon District or something on a Friday night, uh, people who say that they're Christians or they believe in God aren't part of a church. And they'll give you tons of excuses why. Right, uh, but it all boils down to, well, I don't like Christ, so I don't want to go to church. Uh, but you know, primarily, uh, if you so, let's just look at some things. Um, where are we at? Uh, Christiana, can you read Hebrews ten twenty? Are we on you, or did you already read? Yeah. Is your turn? Okay, Hebrews ten twenty three through twenty five. Yeah, so uh, my best guess and understanding as to why that there's not more uh, 
rebukes in scripture of people forsaking the meeting up together assembling is because uh, that was a common practice. That was like fundamental. That's like one of the last things you would do because that would separate you from like most of God's grace that he has for you. Even when they're drunk, they still came. Yeah. They, they, <laughs> the early church was so committed in Corinth that even when they were drunk, they still came. <laughs> right? We know people that are that committed. Yeah, <laughs> there's, we do. There's like, we've, got, we've got great brothers in our church that the first time they came, they were drunk. <laughs> Ask me how I know. Uh, we know. But there is. Uh, and that's great, and they're they're great, they're great brothers, and uh, on Sunday meetings, right? Um, but you know, so like, just think about it like a little bit logically. If you're not like regularly meeting, like you would have never received this letter anyways. You would have never heard, and you'd be separated from the grace of God, right? Don't think about this in like a modern context of like the Hebrew letter wrote it to Grace Christian Fellowship, even though the Holy Spirit intended for us to read it. Uh, but, you know, just think about the context. If they weren't regularly meeting and assembling together, then the person's already outside the grace of God, right, to receive this rebuke. Uh, Abigail, how about 1 John three thirteen through 18? Do not be surprised, brethren, if the world says, but indeed and truth. Yeah. Who believes God is love? Hope all of you. Because <laughs> that's what the Bible says. Uh, if uh, if you don't, there's still grace for you. But uh, whatever. Um, so, how many people have heard that? Like, like I don't know. Maybe this is just I'm basing this off my own experience. But uh, just like a show of hands or something, how many people have heard? You know that people use in an argument of why they don't join the church, and they use the the scripture, "God is love." I hear that like a lot. Wait. They say that God is love, I just got to love God, and I don't need to join a church, is the basic premise to their argument. Not everybody? Bob, you say yeah? Maybe? I've heard it for like a myriad of excuses yeah. for different things. So Not this is why it's just that. Yeah, this is why it's like really important to know your Bibles, because uh, we should all know that God is love, right? And we should all know the Bible verse, because it was on our scripture memory. It is... First John four eight. Uh, or is it eighteen? I think it's eighteen. Perfect love casts out fear. It's four eight. Um, so let's read it in context of what it means that God is love. I'll start at verse seven. First John four seven. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. So he's gonna. Well, I'll just keep reading. Then I'll explain. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. There's the first time. In this we love God. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. In this the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his own son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, God so loved us, we ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Right? So... Uh, the, the whole argument behind God is love is that like we are to love one another, our brothers and sisters. We're supposed to lay down our lives. The same thing that he said earlier in First John uh, 3, 14 through 16, right? 
So I hear people use the argument and say to me that God is love, I love God, and I don't have to be part of his church, when they're, they don't even know what that Bible verse means. They've twisted it and manipulated it to what they want it to mean, right? So, yeah, God is love. Therefore, we should lay down our lives for our brothers. And whoever sees his brother in need and doesn't help him doesn't love his brother. So, are you laying down your life for your brother? How, how you don't have any brothers <laughs> and you're probably keeping it that way so that you have that excuse <laughs> i don't have any brothers or sisters because you're not in community well <laughs> what do you think the solution is <laughs> right uh you know just those you know uh just those first john passages like i encourage everybody um to really know first john well in the in what we're going to talk about on thursday actually this will be your homework and i'll actually follow up uh, with your homework as I give it. <laughs> I had to ask Daniel the last week, what was the homework I told you guys to do? <laughs> and we're going to follow up with you guys. Uh, so here's your homework for everyone who's coming on Thursday. Read all of First John. It's like... Oh, my God. Uh, it's like four, so four chapters long. or something, five chapters, six, so six chapters, life. I don't know. Uh, five chapters, like <laughs> right? Uh, but I, I wrote on my Bible, uh, I wrote, uh, whose father are you? Because First John is all about indications and bearing fruit to whose father you are. You're either children of the devil or you're children of God. And there's multiple fruits and proofs to show of who is in whose kingdom, who's under whose lordship. Uh, one of them is if you love your brothers, right? Because uh, if you don't, it says you're of your father the devil because uh, he's a murderer, you're a murderer. Satan was a murderer, <laughs> right? He was a murderer from the beginning. Uh, so if you're not laying down your life, like the, the goal isn't to just be in Christian community and be used. Like think of it in a holistic sense of the whole thing of like even when people say like uh, and give the, the objection of, well, there's a bunch of hypocrites in the church and okay, what is that? Like what that, yeah. Yeah, there are. Amen, brother. Well, then if you see that there's hypocrites in the church, you're called to be in the church and guide them and restore them in gentleness with one another lest you fall in. Did you forget about that one? Like if you're the only non-hypocrite, then you need to fix all the hypocrites. <laughs> That's the otherwise solution. Otherwise you're a hypocrite. Yeah, or otherwise you're a hypocrite, right? You'll fit right in. Yeah, but since you are, you'll fit right in. Uh you know, so like you can't you can't say that you're a Christian if you're repenting from your own lordship. You're coming into the church. You have to join a church. That has to be what we're instilling into people, and not just joining a church. Not that not like I will say this over and over. Not just coming and honoring the Lord's day so we can get our numbers up. Not just paying our tithes so we can buy a new building. Not just like you know. Uh, taking over the kids' ministry and the catechism, so I don't have to do it anymore, and I don't have to deal with those kids. Uh, you know, not just teaching Tuesday, so I can go home and uh, take a nap. <laughs> you know, whatever. Uh, like, we're trying to get people so conformed that, like, to get them to the biblical idea of the church is the biggest institution and the biggest world changer and culture changer on the face of the earth, and that's how God designed it, and that's who you're called to be, is working together and in God's sovereignty, you know, in, in today's culture, we have a church on every corner, and you can join any one of those. You really, or anyone that's orthodox, I'd say. <laughs> Let me put those stipulations on there. That is uh, geared towards honoring Christ and you know what God has instilled in them. And as long as they're attributing 
you know, the Orthodox faith and belief, then we're, we want people to join churches to do what God has called them to do in the capacity that they have in their gifts and service and laying down their entire life for the purpose of seeing Christ's kingdom unfolded here on earth. And there you go. That's what you need to That's instill into people. That's generally what we're going after. <laughs> um, so we need to get people like the depths of to see that like, right, like I want to expect like, you know, as we talked about, like anyone to like want to join or be part of a church or have fun. <laughs> like one of the objections is like church isn't fun. It's like, well, if that's your goal in life, then yeah, don't go to church because <laughs> it's not fun. I enjoy it. It's, it's not as fun as, you know, uh, hanging out with Josiah on Sunday nights and, and arguing. <laughs> you know, it's, it's not as fun as King's Island. You know, I really do enjoy it, and I uh, experience the presence of the Lord, and I take the sacraments, and I get to be with the people I enjoy the most. That's kind of fun. Uh, you get to take out the trash. If you like washing dishes, you can join Grace Christian Fellowship. That's fun. Uh, but if your purpose is to have fun, like don't don't go to church, right? But if God's calling you, and if if you're being submitted to the Spirit and conviction, if He's bringing about conviction, you're going to uh, enjoy it. You're going to enjoy fellowshipping with these people. You're going to enjoy uh, serving with them. You're going to get plugged in. You're going to uh, might not be fun, but you're going to see the importance, and you're going to lay down your life. Like, nowhere in Christ saying, like, take up your cross and follow me is like, oh, that sounds like fun. <laughs> like, let's go. Yeah. Who's got the nails? <laughs> Who's got the whip? Let's do it. Right? It doesn't, like, the Christian life isn't about fun. Uh, that's, for, that's for atheists and for kids uh, or something. Right? So, <laughs> when I was a child, I put away childish things. Uh, so let's head on to number four uh, to get like, what is the point of all this? So that's all just laying the theological ground of the importance of the, of the church, of getting people plugged in, of why they need to see that, of how they're going to get plugged in. So what are we doing? So, you know, go back to the first question that we put on there, using our local church as a crucial resource in evangelism, right? Of be making people fishers of men, of bearing fruit that remains. So... We have talked the whole time about proclamation evangelism. Now we get to talk about how do we do lifestyle evangelism, right? Just get all get a 3.0 and you're good, right? Is that it? No, that's part of it. Okay, so fellowship and follow-up. Lifestyle evangelism. Um, I'll just read this and then we'll kind of go off of some scriptures. Uh, welcoming people in, showing hospitality. Right? I think this is huge. That's often overlooked, and we everybody has this sin nature about them that wants to be exclusive. We are the clique. We are the people. I know Josiah Longer. We share more things in common, and Daniel, and these are like, really, out of everybody, I might like you guys, or by necessity, hang out with you guys the most. It's by kind of necessity. funny. <laughs> it's kind of funny that you're on my right and left. Uh, <laughs> Right, I really enjoy everybody, but uh, I find myself, you know, Josiah's like, hey, you want to come over uh, and argue? And I'm like, yeah, that's exactly what I want to do. Um, you know, uh, that's what I enjoy. 
or you want to watch a movie, like right? Uh, it's more it's more natural for me to go around people who um, like and who are around the same age and same skin color and have the same interest, right? Like what the homework two weeks ago on Thursday was go out and have a conversation with somebody, and even better if you're uh, the majority of us are. Uh, middle age or middle aged, mid twenties. <laughs> no one's middle aged. Uh, no one's middle aged. Depend on gonna... depend on your lifespan. Yeah. You could be middle aged. Uh, hopefully not. Um, is talk to somebody not like you, not your age group, not the same interest. Talk to an old uh, old lady cashier. See if you can have a conversation with her, because that's really like uh, what it takes. Like. You know, not just saying, talking to people who are like you and have the same interests, but uh, could you be interested in crocheting if God wants you to witness to an, someone's grandma and she crochets? Or if she's into motorcycles, could you be interested in motorcycles? There are, there are grandmas who are interested in motorcycles. Uh, not any of them I know. I've heard about it. So, right? So welcoming people in and showing hospitality is huge. We, everybody has a tendency to get inward turn. This is, we're going to have barbecues with our friends, our people. We're not going to welcome in new people. We're not, that's not the first thing that we all think of, of how can we welcome in new people and get them into community and fellowship to find the friends that uh, God has designed them to have, right? Because they're, if they're coming out of the world and out of worldliness and they're going to come into a fellowship with somebody, are we doing all that we can to welcome in the Gentiles into the court, right? To worship God. Right, being friends with one another is part of worship to God. It really is. Uh, you know, that's part of laying down your lives. Like, you know, uh, if you really think about it, most of us wouldn't have naturally become friends if we met each other on the streets, or if we were like, or if we just went to school together outside of the bond we share uh, in Christ, in Grace Christian Fellowship, and in Rock Campus Fellowship. Right, that's the that's the bond we have, and although. Uh, Bob can speak like eight languages, although seven of those are computer languages, uh, <laughs> you know, or more like, and, uh, you know, we come from different backgrounds. I'm the only one that has tattoos, uh, that I, on, on my arms that I know, of. uh, or Sam, uh, you know, but there's not a lot outside of Christ and fellowshipping together and fellowshipping because we're going to lay down our lives and we're on mission from God of what binds us together. All right. Uh, maybe like Jade and I talk about how much we like pho and, but I've never had pho with you before. <laughs> so the things on a worldly level, worldly level haven't fleshed out yet, but we have ministered together. We have done Bible studies. We have been in the fellowship, you know, outside of anything else. Right. Cause that's actually tighter than, uh, and bonds together more than anything else. Right. So, um, you know, most of the time we think of, or I'm sorry, lifestyle evangelism is like, oh, we have, through faith in Christ, our lives of what the world calls successful have become successful, right? In marriage, which should happen, we should have better marriages, we should raise better kids, we should produce in a society called the church better people for society than anybody else. That's the claim of Christianity, that we have a higher standard of morals. We have a higher uh, place of accountability. We have a higher 
place of than any other institution or any other worldview or any other philosophy can conceive of because it's born of God and it's conceptualized in God's mind and he's instituted and he's given us laws, he's given us ways, and he's given us grace that we as the holy nation, the city within a city, would raise better citizens. Right? And all that entails. Not that we all are the best, right? doesn't mean every person that comes into the church is a better citizen by the world standards than everybody else, right? There's uh, marriages outside of the church that are better than marriages inside of the church. There's kids, I know them, outside of the church <laughs> that are better than kids inside of the church, <laughs> or at least our church. <laughs> uh, love those kids, but... You spend too much time with them. Uh, you really got to lay down your life for them. It's really hard sometimes. Uh, especially when they're hitting those post or preteen years. Uh, you know, like we should as the church has God's economic systems in ways that he institutes money and to be utilized, we should have you know, most can, like, quite frankly, most control of the monetary, the economic system in America because we control most of the money uh, because uh, Old Testament, New Testament affirm that God will bless us and that more, the more we're obedient to him, we'll become the lenders and less and less the borrowers, right? So, uh, like, we're in a situation now, like, where, uh, well... I don't know if I'm allowed to say it, but I'm not going to because it's recorded. Uh, but, you know, uh, we're talking about like mortgages and like, you know, uh, it used, it could be, I can't say too much. It'll just give it away, but I'm not going to do it. Uh, and that actually wouldn't be honoring. So I'm going to hold myself to not on the economic way, but like we, like we in-house, like the church should in-house be counseling and building up marriages and people's vocations and how to handle money and submit that to God's law and God's rule, how to become like, what are we doing first, first Saturday of every month? Men's advance. Men's advance. We're learning how to become better men, right? Because the church should be producing manlier, better men, right? And no one's like, I'm guessing everybody was disappointed to some degree for the first, it's been three meetings. Yeah. Uh, disappointed to some degree because like, I thought we were going to learn how to become better men and all we've talked about is the foundation for scripture and how to be conformed to Christ. I thought you were going to tell me how to... <laughs> to, to, how, to how, how to grill, like, wear jean shorts and New Balance sneakers, right? Yeah, or like how to, how to manage my money, right? I thought we were going to talk about like how to lead a family and how to prepare Assuming that that was going to do, that was going to be something else besides having our foundation in scripture. Yeah. So you know, I was actually like, oh, I thought we were going to talk about more practical things, you know. So, but we should. The church should be producing better men, better women, better children, better marriages, better businesses, better workers, right? Uh, all the time, and all those things are necessary, but. I want to talk specifically about hospitality, you know, because we're talking about evangelism, welcoming people in, right? People will see that we live in a community where Christ is Lord and that they can become members of it. There's, there's open space. There's room. There's room to grow, right? So uh, 
anybody who hasn't been in a church is going to get into the fellowship and be like, I don't fit in, <laughs> right? Because they might not, <laughs> quite honestly. You're coming out of like, uh, you know, out of unreality. Your, your mind was darkened. Your heart was turned away from Christ. Uh, whether you're an atheist, Buddhist, Hindu, nominal Christian, whatever, uh, you're coming out of a completely different form of reality and community into another one. Whereas like, we don't talk about like football a whole lot. Thank God, because I don't know anything about football. Uh, now I can talk to Anvesh about badminton for a while. You know, that's the common ground that we share, you know. But like nine times out of 10, when we're talking and I hear everyone's conversations, it, you know, we talk about like physical things and, and, and worldly things, which is great. Uh, but, you know, I see it amongst you guys a lot. Like we start talking about scripture and what the Lord is doing and what we're doing this summer and what we're going to do in RCF and like, uh, what we're reading and books we've read and, you know, how it pertains to like honoring Christ as Lord, right? Because that's, what else would we talk about? Basketball, maybe, <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, um, but like that's the like people are gonna be welcoming in and be like, uh, oh, we're not just like talking about like baseball and stuff all the time. Like we're actually talking about like Jesus most of the time. Uh, and you know, but we should be able to welcome people in and talk about those things and have some ideas of what football is and how it's played and uh, what teams are out there and uh, what's going on. You know, between between Cleveland and the Celtics and and uh, and whatever, right? Uh, so, but being able to welcome people in and say, show them that like there's space to grow. There's always room to grow. So the fruit of that, uh, is lifestyle evangelism. Uh, all right, Bob, can you read those first Peter two twelve and three sixteen? Right. First Peter two twelve. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deed and glorify God on the on the day of visitation. And 3.16. Having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile you, your good behavior in Christ, may be put to shame. So I'm going to count real quick. Uh, one, two, three. Nine, there's at least nine of us in here who would be uh, <laughs> uh, nine people in here who I would say very sternly to know. Uh, uh, I'd have to look it up the passage. Uh, first, I think it's First Timothy 4, 11 and 12, 4, 12. Do you have it memorized? I did. Did. Uh, just so I don't misquote it. For your youth. But set the believer an example in, in conduct. Conduct is the first conduct, one. Conduct, purity, love. There's another one in there. Uh, set the believer's an example in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity. Right? So your goal in life is to, according to those First Peter passages and uh, this Timothy passage is let no one despise you because of your youth or really because of anything. Your race, uh, your job, your economic status, doesn't matter. But, uh, like as 
First uh, Peter two twelve um, says, "Like let your conduct among the Gentiles be honorable, right?" Or uh, I'm quoting, I'm paraphrasing it there, but like conduct your even conduct yourself like let no one despise you for any reason, and when they do, that they'll be put to shame because they have nothing to actually despise you for. So let them hate you because you're a Christian and because you proclaim the gospel, but if they say you're a lazy worker and you are, that's your shame. That's your fault. You need to fix that. You need to obtain the grace of God to not be a lazy worker, to have no reason to shame you. Uh, you know, that's normally, that's part of the lifestyle evangelism, right? Now, even when they do revile us, that they're put to shame because, like, if they're like, you know, well, uh, well, I don't like Josiah. You know, he's a he's a lazy worker, and uh, he, you know, he just looks like I hate him, and uh, he you looks know, like I hate him. <laughs> you know, and uh, you know, he keeps, uh, you know, whatever. But you know, if they went to his boss, and his boss should say, "No, Josiah is like a darn good worker, <laughs> and he doesn't look." He's always professional and he's presentable and he does his work to the fullness and he gives all that he has. And he claims that that's because of something Jesus did for him or something. I don't know. Uh, but like for no reason, in all your speech, don't even like let someone like catch you in wrong speech and saying something off color. <laughs> now I'm feeling a little convicted. <laughs> uh, right? And in all your conduct, right, set an example. This is how you're supposed to act, right? Do we do that in discipleship? Is that the kind of lifestyle evangelism that we could say, follow Christ, imitate, you know, uh, me as I imitate Christ? Uh, so, you know, that's the first part of lifestyle evangelism. But then uh, there's space for everybody. We can't, you know, say, like, if we ever put out that we are this exclusive club uh, under Christ in this church or in the church, then we've all failed, right? Our entire job and mission and purpose, uh, or part of it, should be continually welcoming more and more and more people in, right? I've got on here somewhere. Uh, I guess that's down here. So all just the fact that all are welcome and accepted in, um, you know, that Exodus 11 is where the mixed multitude uh, goes up with, goes up out of Egypt. Uh, it wasn't just Israel. And the Israel didn't stop them either, right? So it easily could have said that Israel traveled out of Egypt and they plundered them as they went. And they said, hey, as we leave, we're also going to need your gold and silver. And they gave it to them and they said, get out, <laughs> Right? And then there was a mixed multitude going with them. They could have said, no. No, what are you guys doing? No, you stay back for the judgment. That's where you belong. They could have said that, but they didn't. They said, let's go. You got stuff, bring that too. <laughs> right? We could, I think God might want to use you. <laughs> right? And you got stuff, and God will probably want to use that stuff too. That's true. Because <laughs> uh, if Christ is calling people uh, to lordship, Christ, Christ is calling them uh, to submit all their stuff. That's what being a Christian is. <laughs> Ask Daniel how he knows. <laughs> so, uh, right? Welcome to my house. <laughs> uh, as we sit in your house drinking your coffee at your table, 
Uh, and I, I don't even know if I asked you if we could do this. Um, I said, come on, let's go. Uh, so, Josiah, can you read that 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11? Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor adulterers, nor idolaters, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Such were some of you, but you were washed, uh, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and on the Spirit of our God. Yeah. So we're going to make those some things that are blatantly obvious throughout the scripture. Uh, number one, uh, some of these people entered the church and became covenant members uh, and are working together, probably even, uh, well, there was no elders in Corinth at this time, um, but probably uh, there were people who were fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, effeminate, homosexuals, thieves, covetous, drunkards, revilers, swindards, uh, amen, they won't inherit the kingdom, but amen, such were some of them. And now they're not. That's what happens, right? Who are we preaching to and who are we going out to get if we won't talk to people who are effeminate, homosexuals, thieves, covetous, drunkards? Who are we talking to? <laughs> we can't talk to anybody, right? Who are we trying to proclaim the good news of Christ and convert? The very same people, people right? Those people outside that are thieves. If, we're, if we won't preach to somebody because they're a thief, then <laughs> what? That doesn't make any sense, right? But Paul clearly says, like, such were some of you. There were people, like, that means Paul uh, went and proclaimed in Corinth to all these people and founded the church uh, and sent people to establish it and learn his ways, uh, and they're having weekly meetings. Um, now that we learn throughout the rest of the that very same chapter, uh, the before and after. Um, <coughs> so, like that's who we're welcoming in, right? Uh, we did have an interesting, you know, some of the things we did last night in uh, when Danny and I met with these two atheists. Uh, they made an assumption about us that we treat homosexuals wrongly. That, they're, we, that they assume that we thought that they're less valuable, less worthy of dignity and respect. And they said, well, what, do you, what, about, what about gay people? And because we were talking about the, uh, the, yeah, the sanctity of life, pretty much, that the value of life, that God already said that in the image of God and his image and likeness, he created them male and female, right? That men and women are created in the image of God. That means they have value, uh, deserve dignity, and respect, right? Uh, and it doesn't say like, you know, so my best guess and what I see, you know, in my experience is that people, the, the way, the reason why that they would assume that I thought that is because a large majority of the church acts and thinks that way. But who are we welcoming, welcoming in if we can't have homosexuals, thieves, swindlers, uh, adulterers, Come and sit at our table and welcome them in to receive grace and receive a new life in Christ. Obviously, we're going to be preaching that uh, homosexuals don't inherit the kingdom of God, 
nor do those who are covetous or idolaters or adulterers or thieves, right? None of them inherit the kingdom, but they can receive a new life and they do need to repent. But you're welcome in, right? Right. It's those people who uh, heard his words and do them. And the Pharisees uh, were very, very upset that Jesus was hanging out with a prostitute and letting her wash his feet with his tears. Uh, and a whole bunch of other things. And a whole bunch of other people. Right? Like, Christ's followers weren't, like, the highest of, of prize. Like, if I saw somebody hanging out with someone who worked at the IRS... Oh my God! <laughs> right? Or you know, uh, if I knew somebody that like worked in government, <laughs> that that like instituted like like something as evil as like traffic cameras. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Uh, right? They're still welcome, although I. <laughs> No matter what my fleshly desires are, uh, the truth of the gospel is that they are welcome at the table, right? Now, I think uh, someone working uh, higher up at the IRS would have to repent. Uh, higher up or, I don't know. So, right? So all are welcome. Um, where are I'll read that Galatians three twenty six through 29. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized in Christ have clothed your, yourself, clothed yourself uh, with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free man. There is neither male nor female. For you all are one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants and heirs according to the promise. So what sets us apart? Like why would why would there be any reason why we wouldn't be continually welcoming those into the fellowship and having fellowship with people who are not like who Christ wants to call and proclaim the gospel to? Because lifestyle evangelism is a, is a fact, you know, in Scripture, of we will uh, have a, a, a way to preach the gospel more clearly when there seems like we're not just saying words, we're saying, like, you are actually welcome here. Like, I know every other... Uh, institution and group on earth separates you based on who you're like and homogenous, how, how homogenous you are, right? Uh, everybody goes towards people who they are. Like, that's why there's the gay community, right? They welcome in people who are gay, right? Uh, that's why they're a community. Uh, you know, but we don't base it on that. We base it on uh, on unity with Christ, there's like you can be a homosexual and come and have dinner here, and you can come to church. Now we're going to preach, uh, and we're going to call you to repentance and lovingly help you work through that. It's God's, uh, it's God and by the Holy Spirit who's going to produce conviction in you. If God's drawing you, He's going to draw you and give you the means of grace to come out of that lifestyle. But if we can't welcome people in and get them in and make them feel welcome then and show hospitality like i can't like reason how they would stick that out if that makes sense unless they were like really 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 convicted and i don't know how they're going to get more conviction unless they see the grace of god working out in other people's lives and hearing it um right 
I mean, but, you know, just those things that Paul was saying in Galatians about there's no longer slave nor freed man, like all are one in Christ, there's no male nor female, all are one in Christ, is pretty big, right? So, uh, the last point there, point C, Christ-like behavior demands that we welcome in the outsider, not just that all are welcome, but that we are actively seeking to continually welcome in outsiders. Um... Let's just go to Daniel, Hebrews. Let's read those. Uh, we might do them one at a time, but Hebrews 13, 1 through 3. Okay. Let love of the brethren continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for by this some have entertained angels without knowing it. Rem- remember the prisoners as though in prison with them and those who are, who are ill-treated, since you yourselves are also in the body. All right, so there's people, there's strangers, like show hospitality. Don't neglect to show hospitality to strangers. Um, you know, we don't actually know uh, who is God, God is electing and not. We can show, we can see fruit of that, but we do know that God is calling us to call in the outsider, right? To call in the stranger and alien, to make them a part of the city, of the holy nation, of the temple, of the household of God. Right, we have clear uh, commands uh, from Christ and from the apostles and the whole tenet of Scripture to continually welcome in the outsider. Uh, Jonathan, Luke nine ten through eleven. When the apostles returned, they gave an account to him of all that they had done. Taking taking them with him, he was, he withdrew by himself to the city called Beth. Beth- But the crowds were aware of this and followed him. And welcoming them, he began speaking to them about the kingdom of God and cursing those who had need of curing. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Cursing. Right, curing, not cursing. Right. So this one might seem like a little out of place, but why do I put it in here is because Christ was like ministering to people. The apostles returned, gave an account to him. Uh, He withdrew by himself, right? Christ doesn't normally do that when he wants to go minister, it seems like. Uh, Or in all in his omniscience, he did because he knew that the people were still going to be pounding down his door, right? Heal us, come, like deliver us from demons. What are you doing? Like he goes out like, you know, when he feeds the 5,000, uh, in Luke, it's because he, he took the disciples out to go by himself and like 5,000 people followed him. And he must have, like, if I was not, I'd be like, what are you guys doing? <laughs> Why are you following me? <laughs> Leave me alone. <laughs> Don't you have homes to go to? I would be like, I want a minute alone, please. But Christ is continually welcoming people in. He goes and uh, withdrew. He withdrew from them, right? But the crowds were aware of this. Like, oh, where's Jesus going? There he is, <laughs> right? Like, this happens, like, uh, it's becoming, because I answer the phones at GCF, and, you know, the reason why we had to have the announcement of, like, during the annual meeting of don't call Greg, because he's on sabbatical. It's because he would get calls daily of, like, hey, I know you're on sabbatical, but, like, daily, and I'd be like, yeah, I don't know. I think Greg is busy. 
he might be taking a nap. I don't know. Like trying to divert people's calls, but they would just call back. <laughs> they just keep coming. <laughs> I got people that call me. <laughs> And I'm not that busy, and I'm not on sabbatical, so I'll, t- I'll take your call. But, like, uh, <laughs> I got a call from, uh, I get a call at, like, 11 at night, like, John Gray, like, you want to go running? I'm like, no, I, I kind of do, but, like, I just want to, I just want to not, and, and I want to, like, sit in my room alone, and that's hard to do. <laughs> I, I can't even do that sometimes, right? But we have to have, like, so Christ-like character and Christ-like uh, objective and goals and uh, commands are cont- he didn't turn them away is the point like uh, is this Luke 9 no uh, it's Mark 10 or is it Luke 10 uh, where he's sending out the 72 and he says he saw them who were sheep without shepherds right and he had compassion on them right like do we have compassion on people that like we're not just like welcoming them in to have a spot, right? Like we could theoretically, like we could say we show hospitality. We could say this is a campus ministry house. Uh, but if we're not doing campus ministry, then we're not a campus ministry house. If we're not like totally geared towards showing hospitality and welcoming in outsiders and we become cliquish and inwardly turned, we have been deceived. Like one of the uh, things like is, um, you know, a rebuke is like, it's not just that like we say we have a spot, but is it the first thing that comes to mind of, oh, who's the new people? Who needs to be welcomed into community? Who needs more fellowship? Uh, who would benefit from this? Uh, you know, who is on the fringes and who's outside uh, that needs more Christian community, that needs like a new, needs new friends and needs to be a part of somewhere? Are we calling them first? Right. Or are we, uh, who's, who's bringing what, right? Uh, because it's part of our sin nature. We don't inherently want, like, Christ to rule over our life and continually to be uh, ministering and, and laying down our, li- our lives to other people and welcoming them in, right? But, but Christ was bogged down. Like, it's so amazing. Like, go back and read the Gospels and look for these. Like, look for just this point of, like, where Christ went alone by himself, prayed all night, and he came down, and they're like, Jesus, come here. We got something. We got a problem. Or, hey, uh, are you going to heal us or what? Right? Like, he sends out, he goes out on a boat by himself, and people come after him. Like, the Mount of Trans- Transfiguration, he comes down there instantly at his at his feet, like, wanting to get ministered. Like, they got problems, and they got demons to get cast out. He goes out to take his disciples out on a nice retreat, and 5,000 people follow him. <laughs> like, they would not leave him alone. And he never turned them away. Not once have I found in the Gospels where he turned anybody away and say, no, you know, why don't you, like, why don't you just hold off? Uh, like, you're not welcome here. You're not, like, he wasn't continually ministering and casting out demons and and healing the sick that came to him, right? They were rejected because of their faith, and when nobody wanted him, they kicked him out, (laughs) right? Uh, So, uh, where are we at? Are we at Jonathan? Or uh, Kyle, can you look up Matthew? What do you want to wait for that? If you got some way to look it up? Uh, Matthew 25, 31 through 46. And then Sam, our last verse, Matthew 21, 12 through 13. 
when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king went unto them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick, and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry, or thirsty, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, it did, and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them, saying, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into inter eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Yeah, so the church has always understood, like, so as much as I can uh, get from Scripture, most of the, like, helping one another out is actually internally commanded in the church. For the most part, and most of uh, the epistles in the New Testament and Old Testament, uh, throughout the whole scripture, most of it is brother helping out brother internally in the church, in that uh, you know city set on a hill under their government and guidance. But the church has always understood uh, that we have to then stretch that out to the outside, that we have to have acts of charity, acts of love, ministries, welcoming people in. One of the ones Christ says is, uh, I was a stranger, but you did welcome me in, or I was a stranger, but you didn't welcome me in, you know, in prison. I was, uh, you didn't visit me, or you did visit me hungry, and you did or didn't feed me thirsty, and you did or did not give me drink. That there is always, the church has always understood that we are the solution ordained by God to go out and when people are in their least, in their most destitute, that we will welcome them in. We will uh, give them aid. We will do that's what hospitals are, a Christian foundation uh, and schools um, and the universities in the West. Um, you know, so the church has always understood that we have to do those acts of charity. Now, like, that doesn't mean like every time someone begs on the street for a dollar that I give them a dollar or $10. Uh, 
I've I've had a guy because you know I've got a policy to not give cash. A guy that came and I'd give him a ride, and I said I don't I don't give cash, and he gets in my car and he says, "What are you gonna do with all that change?" I said, "Not give it." <laughs> <laughs> said, "Not give it to you. Uh, I won't give you cash. I'll buy you something to eat." But so we should not only be like welcoming people in and have a space for them and. Um, you know, welcoming the outsider, but we should always like when people are, are in like their lowest, because if we know that the ways of God's ordinary means of grace works, of bringing out conviction or bringing people to conviction that they need a new life in Christ, mm-hmm. that they can receive that in Christ, is like finding people at their lowest, you know, and uh, you know, like we should be able to find the international students. Uh, who come in here off the plane and don't have any friends and be friends with them, right? Uh, that's one need that could be easily met because yeah. uh, we all have worked on talking to people who aren't like us, right? So it should come easily, right? Or, uh, you know, people who are down on their luck or whatever, like, but we should, that should be a mindset that we all have of finding the low, finding the destitute, welcoming them into the body of Christ and into the Lordship of Christ and receiving a new life in Christ, uh, not just theoretically, but that has become manifest and incarnate in the church. Does that make sense? So, uh, you know, if you think of like, I'm thinking more like on a personal level, but the church has done that in soup kitchens and feeding the homeless and having Christian schools and whiz kids programs and what we do at Ponets, uh, and whatever. We do the, those things, and those are ways, which are good ways, but even on the personal level, when you, uh, like if we develop friendships and fellowship with people, and we don't, and we welcome people in and know that they have a, a spot, uh, when people are at their lowest, when God is bringing about conviction and a repentance, then that gives it an open door to say, oh, you know what, I totally screwed up my life. I got fired. Uh, what do I do now? Oh, here's somebody who, you know, they told me, you know, I know a little bit about them, you know, through that Rock Campus Fellowship thing and uh, how they work, work with people and to develop their vocations and they have cookouts and stuff. And uh, I heard they're having a cookout this week anyways. It's Memorial Day. Uh, you know, or or whatever. Insert, you know, whatever situation in there that people's lives will inevitably, their own destruction is upon them to some degree. Uh, Now, sometimes that lays dormant and sometimes it doesn't. Um, But to have the opportunity, if we're, you know, accepting of everybody, you know, our, what's our slogan on the front of our church? Acceptance as you are. are. Empowerment to grow. grow. So live it. Embody that. That should be like... If anybody comes in and says, well, you guys said that your uh, slogan is acceptance as you are, but that's BS because they didn't. Then That's on our pamphlets, but uh, on the sign it is acceptance as you are. Uh, that's one of our many slogans. Uh, whichever one fits us at the time. <laughs> uh, so for the front of the church, we have acceptance as you are, empowerment to grow. So embody that. Don't like don't be a hypocrite, right? Uh, we you know generally do a pretty good job in the church, but not as good of a job in the campus ministry of acceptance as you are, right? Uh, and that's 
not just the nature of things. We need to fix that. So last verse, Matthew 21, 12 through 13. And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all of those who were buying and selling in the temple. and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who were selling doves. And he said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer. But you are making it a robber's den. Yeah, why was he making it, why were they making it a robber's den? Anybody? They were stealing. From they the were Gentiles. blocking the, the, the temple to the people outside of you, like the Jews speak that. Like, the, the, the Gentiles. Yeah. 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 Is it wrong to buy and no. sell in the temple? No, taking up the space for the Gentiles, though. Not just taking up the space, uh, but extorting them, mm-hmm. making it hard for them, or putting stipulations and extracting. They were doing the same thing that the tax collectors were doing. It's like if we took, uh, if we came in every every Sunday and we had someone stand at the door and be like, "Well, if you, this is the true house of God, and if you want in, it's going to cost you fifty bucks. You got money? <laughs> well, get out of here. We don't take checks because <laughs> that might bounce. We do cash only, buddy, or we'll swipe a card. But you ain't get in this church, <laughs> right? That's what it would be like. Uh, it wasn't wrong to sell. Uh, that was actually commanded in Leviticus that you could. Uh, sell all that you had, bring your or bring money. Sell what you had, bring money, and buy things at the temple. Uh, Josiah probably knows that reference. Where is it, where is it Leviticus? I don't, I don't know the reference. Oh, you know what it says. Uh, I know what you're about. Right? Could anybody? Uh, I want to say that Psalm. It's in the nineties, but can anybody finish the quote from the Psalm? It is written, "My house shall be a called a house of prayer." Well, that's what Christ said. I mean, the Psalms. Something about it being turned to all nations. Yeah, my house shall be a house called a house of prayer for all nations, all people groups, everybody. But you're turning it into a, a, dauber, a robber's den. <laughs> a robber's den, right? And that really pissed off Jesus, right? He welcomed in everybody that who would come, but he whipped everybody who was and physically and verbally, who is keeping Gentiles from coming into the kingdom, from welcoming them in, to saying, this is a place where we worship God. Come on in and worship God. Right? Jesus was really angry. I think also, too, like, they didn't care about him so much to the point where, like, they were physically selling. Because I think there's a fucking process there. Like, I think that's almost implied that they probably uh, just did not associate with themselves, nor did they, like, yeah. Uh, last time I checked, you don't extort money from your friends. <laughs> Unless they. <don't. laughs> you, you might want to see who you, you might want to see who your friends are. Uh, you might say that they're your friends if they're extorting your money, but I would encourage you to maybe not. Uh, and if you're doing that to your friends. <laughs> Uh, right? So, two dollars. So, you know, Christ was saying, like, like those who weren't welcoming in, he was going to whip and he was going, and it made him angry. And that's where he flipped over tables. That's where he whipped people. I don't see any other time in, in scripture where he goes that far, right? Where he gets that angry. You know, John the Baptist 
he doesn't even whip anybody. He just calls them brood of vipers, sons of snakes. Who told you to flee from the wrath to come? All he did is preach repentance and God's wrath <laughs> on them, right? Uh, he didn't whip them. He didn't throw stones at them. <laughs> uh, Christ never threw stones, but as far as we can tell. Um, but he did drive them out of the temple of you know, where the Gentiles were being called in, where people were being welcomed in, where they can come and worship freely, where it can be a house of prayer for all nations, right? So uh, we are called to have the same attitude if, and to be introspective if we're welcoming people in or not, if that's one of our highest uh, ideals and attitudes, if that's what motivates us. If it's not, then we have to repent and ask Christ for a new mind in Christ, to even have the idea that like, oh, we're doing something, we should welcome all the new people or make this about the new people and how to welcome them in because Christ might be doing something there. These people might find a community of people to associate with and get the gospel preached to them and they might receive a new life in Christ. They might. They might not, but they won't if they don't. <laughs> they definitely won't if they don't, right? Uh, and we could be the vehicle that God wants to use in those specific people. Um, but we won't know until we welcome them. Uh, so does that make sense for everybody? Yeah. All right. Somebody want to close us in prayer?